into our uh, time of worship here in the preaching of the Word. We're again into Ephesians chapter 4. And last week, I compared the two parts of kind of Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, which is kind of one line of thought, but there's two parts, and they are kind of like two sides of a single coin. The first side is that we are all designed by one God and called to be a part of and baptized into one body if we are in the faith, if we are one with our Lord Jesus. One body. The second side that we get to engage with today is that while we are one body, we are united in that way, we are still one body who is comprised of many unique and varying parts joined together. We are joined together in and under the direction of Christ. Thinking about the, the glory of God's creation lately, I discussed with a brother my fascination with um, symbiotic relationships in nature, where these organisms benefit each other. I think of the oxpecker bird and the water buffalo, the clownfish and the anemone, flowering plants and flying insects. Each of these organisms are dependent upon one another for one way or another. And some of them are dependent for their very survival. You will have heard probably on the news around you that the bee populations in the world are decreasing and they're worried about the bees because no bees equals no flowering plants. And no flowering plants is bad news for all of us. And to me, these symbiotic relationships point to a, an absolutely meticulous designer of the creation around us, that these two would just happen to be together and happen to need each other and just happen to have found one another. I don't think it just happened. Our God has arranged and balanced an ecosystem in our world in an incredibly precise manner. And we could easily take this symbiosis and port it over into our example of the church. Each ministry area serving the common good, caring for one another, each individual strengthening the next. There's plenty of crossover here. But our text goes one step further than that. Our relationship with one another here in this church, our church's corporate relationship with the greater body of believers in creation, are this, these relationships are more than just symbiotic. It zooms even closer. The church, as God has designed it, is not made up of interdependent and mutually beneficial but ultimately independent organisms. Instead, he has knit his church together into one organism, each dependent within itself, each part of that organism dependent on the other for survival. As Paul said earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, he said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And regarding this whole one 
body metaphor of the church, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The end of that passage in verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The human body is infinitely more complex than we often give it credit for. I think of how our circulatory system carries oxygen throughout the body and removes impurities and carbon dioxide, but then that circulatory system requires the respiratory system that the oxygen would be taken in and the carbon dioxide would be expelled. The renal system filters waste out of the circulatory system and expels it, and yet it depends still on that system for its oxygen and energy needs. Each part of our body is requiring the other parts in such an incredibly intricate and incredible way. Everything in our body is connected. And that's one of the reasons why the medical field is so complex and I am so in awe of the, the minds that God has given many of our medical professionals to see these things because a failure in one area of the body can affect so many other areas and sometimes it's in unexpected and seemingly unpredictable ways. Our passage this morning continues and expands on this teaching of Paul of the church as the body of Christ, one organism knit together in Christ. So I'll ask that you get out your Bibles and get to Ephesians chapter 4. And because we are looking at the two sides of the coin, we need to remember how side number one plays in. So we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 and through to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's Word. It's important in my mind to keep coming back to this double-sided coin. Oneness and uniqueness. We're created corporately to be one. One church locally. We are Elk Point Baptist Church. Each one of us is a part of this body, and we are one. In the universal church, the Catholic church, we are one body. If I go and visit my brothers and sisters in the Philippines, I am going to be a part of the same body that I'm a part of here. I am just going to a different part of the body. Still in the same body, though. We are all united in our worship of Christ. We are all united around the same thing that we celebrated as we came to the Lord's table. Each member united to the whole, united in purpose through the Spirit. And yet, to start off our passage this morning, he's talking about this oneness. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's only one God and one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism, but grace is given to each one. And that each one word combination here is unique in Scripture. It's unique to this letter. And this is not where it is just focusing on our kind of individuality as a church. This each one is phrased so it intentionally singles out each and every one of us. When Paul is saying each one, he is looking at you in the eye and says, each one of us have been gifted. The same phrase appears down in verse 16 of our passage. And I actually like the way that the CSB translates this versus the ESV. Because the ESV says, when each part is working properly. That's not wrong. But the stress is not there. The CSB, when it says it, it says, the proper working of each individual part. It is the one zoomed in, you individually, you. Insert your name here. When you are working properly, something happens to the greater body of the church. To each individual, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That grace is the gifting that allows each of us to be productively involved in the body to which we belong. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the spiritual gifts, we're told that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. But our passage says it is from Christ. Are these from the Spirit or from Christ? Yes. 
Remember, there is one body and one spirit called to one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That baptism is the key to the question, well, is this gift from the Spirit or gift from Christ? Well, Christ has baptized us into the Spirit. So it is a gift, and we just went through the Nicene Creed, and that's why it's important for us to read these creeds carefully because even in the wording of them, it's explaining something to us. One Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So it's not wrong for us to say that these gifts are given, that the grace is provided to the saints at once from the Spirit and from the Son, for they are one God, and the Spirit proceeds from the Son. So Paul then, to ground and support his claim that Christ gives such gifts, he moves to kind of an interesting proof. Starting in verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So we could fall down a really deep exegetical rabbit hole here. Um, Psalm 68 is a notoriously difficult psalm for scriptural interpreters to begin with, and now we have Paul quoting it, and he quotes it, but he doesn't quote it perfectly, so did he misquote a psalm in scripture? So is he misusing scripture? There's some very difficult interpretive challenges here, but to kind of sum it up, Ultimately, as he quotes um, Psalm 68.18 here, he tweaks his quote so that this quote actually encompasses pretty well the whole message of Psalm 68 together in this one, one partially quoted verse. So it's an indirect and not totally perfect quote, but it still maintains the message that the psalmist had given as a whole in Psalm 68. And what thrust is he pulling from Psalm 68? Psalm 68 is one of God's deliverance for his people and condemnation for his enemies. God is exalted and his people are saved and he has cared for them and he has made his dwelling place with them. And with this language of Christ having descended and ascended, quoting from Psalm 68, he wants his listeners to understand that the same Christ who descended, another sidebar here that is another misunderstood part of this, this is often used to talk about how in, I believe it's 2 Peter, where we are told that Christ descended and went to the realm of the dead, and there's a whole conversation there, but Here, it's not so much talking about that. It's talking about the humiliation of Christ that he has descended, he has become incarnate, he has taken the form of a servant. Descended here was not descended from earth down, it was descended from glory from the right hand of the Father to earth. So he has descended to the earth, he has been born a servant, 
and the same Christ who descended, that some of these audience members in Ephesus may have even heard about this Jesus, this guy who is walking around the earth and that some people say is God, some people say is a heretic. Well, he has descended from heaven and he has ascended back to heaven, risen and ruling. Glorious Christ, God the Son. And the same one who first descended and then ascended back to heaven is more than capable, more than powerful enough, more than equipped to give the kind of gifts that he gives to his church. And God has not given us the gifts that he has as his people and then told us, go, do something with it. God gives us much more direction than than that. He gives us his word and his commandments, but he also, in verse 11, we see he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And before taking the time to study this, just as kind of part of individual reading, I would have just included this list in kind of one of the several lists that we find throughout Scripture of kind of the lists of the ways that God has gifted His people. I would have just kind of lumped it in. This is just another, because not all of the lists are complete. This is just another list of some of the gifts that God gives. But it's more than that. These, this list is a list of a particular subset of the gifts that God gives to His people. And these gifts that He lists here are tailor designed by God for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Grace has been given to each of us. And for some of us, God has given a particular gift that is targeted at supporting the body. Christ modeled such incredible gentleness and patience in his leadership. We talked about the gentleness and patience that is required of us earlier. And he gives this list of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And each one listed here is to follow the example of Christ in their leadership of the church. So the leaders here in this church and myself as a pastor are not to be viewed as greater than or superior to anyone. We are not some super Christians. Instead, we are to be servants of the congregation, your servants in equipping you. So the first two that he mentions are the apostles and the prophets. And he keeps, Paul keeps dealing with this over and over again, that we are built upon a foundation of the apostles and prophets. And he keeps coming back to this. And these apostles and the prophets are for the first generation of the church who did not yet have a New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And these apostles and these prophets came and spoke definitively and authoritatively the Word of God. Paul could speak and say, Thus saith the Lord. So these apostles and prophets were a specific gift to the early church who did not yet have Scripture to rely on. Speaking God's Word authoritatively. 
And so he mentions the apostles and the prophets. And then we have the next step in church history. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God kind of sets the parameters around his church with the apostles and the prophets. Kind of gives us a a model for the church and gives us his word. And then from there, he gives us the evangelists. These are the modern-day missionaries. And whether they're official missionaries or not, I know certain people who are incredibly gifted in this way. I was just talking with Sherry this week about my stepdad who, even in his time in the hospital, and he's been in the hospital a few times, and one of my favorite things is every time he comes out of the hospital, he comes with the same story. Uh, So I was in the hospital, in my kind of hospital bed, and Whoever the guy was next to me or the lady was next to me, they, I got talking with them because my stepdad likes to talk to people. And I got talking to them, and the story inevitably goes the same direction. I got talking to them, and I know that they're here in the hospital, which is never a good thing. It's never where we're shooting. So I got to ask them questions. Do you know where you're going? For those of you that don't know, my stepdad was recently in the hospital having had a heart attack, and so he was in there for a week or so, and he had two different roommates cycle through that he was able to say, okay, we're in the cardiac ward. That's not a good place to be. All of us are very aware of our own, menta- our, our own mortality when we're in the cardiac ward of the hospital. Do you know where you're going? If that ticker quits on you right now, you know who you're going to see in the next moment. Some people are gifted as evangelists. That's just the way they're, they're built. And sometimes it's the official missionaries getting sent off to Cambodia or Thailand or wherever else. Or sometimes it's the person who's just bent is to share the gospel with everyone they meet. But some are particularly gifted in this way. And I want us to remember here, for all of these, the evangelists, the teachers, the shepherds, just as the pastor, just as me as the pastor of Elk Point Baptist Church, I don't want anyone to see me as the the hired man paid to do the work of the ministry. And the congregation can't just say, well, I put my money in the offering plate, and that money goes to pay the pastor's salary, and as such, I have participated in the work of the church. And just so with the evangelists, we can't say, okay, well, we, we pay missionaries, people who are gifted. I'm not super gifted at evangelism, so I make sure that I put my money in the offering plate, and then I can write off my evangelism responsibility in Scripture, which we all are told that we are to be ready to give an account for our faith. We can't just write it off and say, okay, well, I help pay a missionary salary, so I did my evangelism. But God commands us to proclaim the gospel faithfully, but he has gifted some in a very special way to do so well. And then he is also commissioned as his servants, servants of the word of God and servants of the church, these shepherds and teachers. There's some argument as to whether or not the shepherd and teacher is meant to be one person or separate people, but it gets to the same point. And these are the ones who are commissioned as 
Jesus describes in uh, Matthew 20. Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Myself and the other elders here are ones who the church have acknowledged and recognized as having this gift of shepherding and teaching. Those are part of the criteria for eldership. And we are committed before God to act humbly as shepherds and teachers under the leadership of Christ that you, as God's saints, would be equipped for the work of the ministry. That you would build up the body of Christ. Like I said, the pastor, the elders, we are not the ministry machines designed by God to do the work of the ministry. That's not our role. Yes, we work in ministry, but our particular gifting is such that we are to equip you. Sometimes more than the doing the work of the ministry, it feels like we are the, the teachers, the guides, the talent scouts, the recruiters, and the overseers. We're the ones who take a look at our church and say, you need to be involved in XYZ way, and we need people who are able to work in this way, work for God's glory. We know you, the congregation, and we would see you engaged in ministry, doing the work of ministry. And we do our best to equip and exhort and encourage you as you do so. And the goal here is that each of us minister according to the gifts of grace that we have received in Christ. That we'll each continue to be equipped and built up as Christ's body until we attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you look at those criteria here, those qualifications, unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, the stature of the fullness of Christ, this is what we are aiming for. We press towards these. We use our gifts to build one another up to achieve these things. But if we look carefully at it, we realize that we will never perfectly achieve these things. The knowledge of Christ, growing into the stature of Christ. We will never arrive, and we will never get to a place where we no longer need the body of Christ to equip us in that direction because we can never fully know Christ, for Christ is God the Son, and we cannot fully know God. We will never attain the stature of the fullness of Christ. You may notice that oftentimes when I pray, I include something to the effect of praying that we would grow into the likeness of Christ. And that comes out of this passage. To be like Christ is the greatest aim of any believer, for he is the paradigm as truly man. The incarnate Christ is the pinnacle of what it means to be man, what it means to be human. And we are to be like him in the way that we live. 
So if we ever put ourselves in, the, in this passage and we measure ourselves against these standards and we think that we have arrived, then we need to do some serious repentance for our pride has gotten out of control. We will pursue likeness unto Christ until we are taken to be with Him in glory. And yet we continue to pursue each of these things. That in the church, in the body of Christ, in some way we would build one another up and encourage the fellow members of the body to these things. As we pursue them individually and corporately, we will find that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. Come back to that two sides of the coin, the corporate and individual life of faith. They're not divorced from one another. As we grow in faith, we must help others to grow in faith, and we must be helped by others to grow in our own faith. And if we live in a community that does that, if we are a part of a body that does that, there is great safety and great strength. Do we want to be mature? Do we want to attain to the fullness of Christ? Or do we want to remain spiritual babies, spiritual toddlers who can't have solid food? Then we must be a part of the body of Christ. Paul's final summary statement Grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What does the exercise of that look like? Starting in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. The exercise of the grace given to us by Christ through the Spirit looks like the interdependent systems of the body. Each relying on the others, each supporting and supplying the others, and none can stand alone. And every body system ultimately in submission to one, into the head, the brain, the central nervous system, the, the one who is overarching to Christ. As we wind up for this morning, I want to ask two important questions. First is whether Christ is your head. That whole passage points to the supremacy of Christ. Christ gives gifts. Christ is the ascended one. Christ has given us leadership in the church. Christ is the one we must know. Christ is the measure of our maturity in the faith. Christ is the head of the body in the church. Does your life reflect this? If an observer were to have a bird's eye over your life, if they were to be honest, if they were to have that same view of my life, would they see and know that Christ is central to all things in my life? My second question is going to feel a little bit pointed, and intentionally so. And it is not meant to be something that makes you feel down and guilty about your involvement or any of that kind of thing. And 
I can acknowledge there are many difficulties standing in the way of our engagement and our commitment to the body of Christ here at Elk Point Baptist Church. We have a church that spans 45 minutes in every direction. We have a church of incredibly varied people, incredibly busy people, incredibly different time scales and shift work and insert your own thoughts here. So this is difficult. And this is pointed at myself as much as anyone else. But my second question this morning is how are you connected to the body? And not just connected. You can be here. You can be connected. But are you deliberately and intimately interconnected with the body of Christ at Elk Point Baptist Church? Or wherever your home church might be. Maybe you have a home church somewhere else. Maybe someone watching online has a home church somewhere else. It's not just about our church. But are you intimately connected with your local church? To use Paul's example, are you a heart or a lung or an eye or a foot or a hand? Are you attached to that body and integral to that body? If you were removed from that body, what would be different? Are you tied to the body? Are you an important organ in the body or have you made yourself more like the appendix or a hangnail where you're kind of barely attached to the body just by a thread or you're an organ that we don't really know what this organ does or if it's necessary and many of us are walking around without an appendix. I'm walking around without tonsils. Are you an integral part of your body of faith? I know that's a hard question. How would your body of faith, how would your church, your church family be different if you were not a part of that church? And if the answer is only in the logs of the church giving, that's an issue. You are to be involved in the body of faith. This is not designed to shame or guilt anyone or convince you, okay, well, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet in the back for no sign-up sheets out there. But we absolutely must be involved in the church, and it's not just so I can say that all of our ministries are fully staffed and working well. That is a huge part. But I also know that you have to be involved in your local church, really involved in your local church, for your own good, as well as the good of the church. Each one of us is not going to have the same function, and maybe some will have more obviously noticeable and pivotal roles, but each one of us, regardless of the role we fill, I think of our church, we've got greeters, we've got audiovisual people, we've got music people, elders, deacons, pastors, Bible study leader, administrator, custodian, decorator, Sunday school superintendent, Sunday school teacher, youth or children's volunteer. There's a list of a million ways that people are involved in the church. Each of those roles and each individual person in them individually contributes 
using the grace and gifts that God has given them, gifts given by God to keep Christ's body at Elk Point Baptist Church alive and healthy, and ultimately, as each part is working, it makes the body grow so it can build itself up in love. There's no warrant anywhere in Scripture for a mature believer who is not involved in the life and ministry of their local church. And I know every single one of us is incredibly busy in our own right. Every single one of us have a million things going on, from young families to business owners to students who have to go and work at school to retirees who are busy visiting grandchildren all over creation. It doesn't matter which person you ask in this church. I would guarantee you about half of the time when I ask, well, how are things going to anyone in this church, the word busy comes up about half the time. We are all busy. We all have a million things on our plate, and yet we are commanded in Scripture in no uncertain terms that we are to be a part of the body and not just barely attached, but actively using the gifts and the grace that God has given us to contribute to the body. And if you aren't playing a role in the church, then it becomes your responsibility to make clear how are you managing to build up the body if you're not fulfilling any kind of role or purpose in the church. Imagine what it would look like if every single person in this church was actively and regularly serving in some manner or another. Imagine how healthy and vital this congregation would be. And I want to promise you, if you don't know where you fit, what role you could fill, again, this is a command. Paul is writing this as a letter to people. So they're reading this and hearing this or having it read to them. He's putting the onus on them to be involved in the body. So it's not the various ministry leaders' job to go and hunt people down and say, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do that? But if you were to come to anybody in a role in this church, whether it's the elders or the deacons or Sherry as the Sunday school superintendent or any of the roles in the church, Tony, if you were to come to them and say, I want to be involved, I know I'm supposed to be, I don't know where I fit, we would be overjoyed to help you find out where you fit. Because for your own good and for the good of the church, if you are a part of the body, you need to fit. If one of our organs in our body isn't attached to the rest of everything else in the body, that organ starts to die inside of us, and it makes us sick. Ultimately, it will often kill people. People die from organs dying inside of them that become detached inside their body. For your good and for the good of the church, you need to be attached and participating and integral to the body of Christ. Like I said, a little pointed, a lot pointed, but rightly so. We have 
a huge variety of ministries in this church, and not a single one of them can say, I have all the people I need. And if you are not filling a role, you should be. And I want to see you too for your good, not just for the good of the body. So as grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift, let's use the gifts that we are given for the glory of Christ and the good of His church. Let's praise Him and thank Him that He does give us such good gifts and that we get to be involved in the growing and vitality of Christ's body, both here at Elk Point Baptist Church and around the world. And let's work together to see that when each part, each one of us, is working properly, when we are working properly, we make the body of Christ grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us clearly in it. You have given us direction. You have given us church leaders. That you have given us such grace that we would be granted gifts from you. And we pray that you would help us to be able to look at ourselves and say that we are working properly. We are integrated and a part of this church that we are a part of. Not for our own glory, not for the good of any one person, but for your glory and for the good of your body. Lord, we are incredibly grateful that we have a body to be a part of. And that for us to be a part of that body right now doesn't involve us sneaking around and sneaking to Bible studies and trying to be involved under threat of death or other per persecution, Lord, but that we have the opportunity to serve as one body freely. And Lord, may you prick our hearts that we might see that we need to be engaged in this body of faith. And Lord, we are so grateful for the so many of this church who are involved day in, day out, week in, week out in all of the various ministries that are at work here. Lord, your church is healthy. Your church is growing in faith and in knowledge of you. But Lord, we ask that you would continue to grow it. Continue to integrate new parts of the body to the point where we couldn't imagine what we would have done without them. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters. We thank you for the adoption that you have given us into your body. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we proclaim him this morning.
pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.